thanks again for being here at Grace. And we are excited, as you've heard, about the next few weeks coming up. Next week is Celebrate Grace, free chicken dinner for everybody that comes. And uh, then the Wednesday after that, we're out at the fair. And then the next Sunday, two weeks from today, we're starting a brand new series on end times. And we're excited about that as well. And when we're starting that series, August 30th, and two weeks from today, that's also kind of a biker week for us. Have you caught that? Does anybody even know that? All right, some of you, all right. So that's, that's kind of cool. And by the way, uh, Jay's not here today. He's in Paulding. So I just, you know, Jay has a little biker history that I thought we ought to check out. So I just want you to see this. Which is pretty scary if you, if you think about that. But we're in a series, What's the Difference? And we've been looking at different religions and how that compares to biblical Christianity. And today we're looking at Catholicism. And uh, it's, it's more, a little more closer to home, a little more sensitive of a subject. And I know that because since we mentioned that last Sunday, before I left the building last Sunday, then also during the week and even this morning when I showed up, people were saying things like, be nice. <laughs> I thought I was always nice. Apparently, I need to reevaluate uh, a little bit. So, yeah, we will be nice um, if you're Catholic, and we know we have a lot of people with Catholic backgrounds, and, and you may be Catholic, and we're glad that you're here, and we, but there are some differences, and we just want to be straight up about those things and, and discuss them. Uh, we, we both believe in the Word of God, and here's the thing about it. If we, if we believe that the Bible is the, the breathed out very word of God, which we do, then there's no truth that will ever contradict that. Make sense? If this is straight from God, then no truth, even religious truth, will ever contradict Scripture. And if you have a discrepancy, you have to figure out what are you going to trust. And, and so that's kind of the thing that we'll, we'll talk about. And I just urge you to examine everything if you're from more of a Catholic background, just examine everything we're saying in light of, of God's word. That, that's, that's the key. I know a lot of people here are way more familiar with the Catholic church than I am. And a lot of times my interaction with the Catholic church is when people are in my office and a lot of them have left. I just did a funeral, for example, this week, a lady who was a Catholic 40 years ago. Um, had, had gone through a divorce, was refused communion, never went to church again, any church. And so, you know, sometimes we have that kind of a background. I've had people sitting in my office talking about, uh, you know, be it not liking something about the church. That happened way back. Uh, they were divorced, and to make that right or get married in the church, they could pay $600 and have their first marriage annulled. And, you know, I don't know about all that stuff. I'm not an expert in that, and I'm not an expert in that because it's not in the Bible. And what we're going to look at is just the same kind of uh, outline that we have been using. We, we've been looking at biblical Christianity compared to other religions. And we, we've seen that they have a different foundation, a different theology, and a different gospel. But today, as we look at Catholicism, we can use that same structure. A different foundation, 
a different theology and a, a different gospel. I want to clear up some terms. We call ourselves in a broader group. I mean, we're Grace Community Church, but in a broad group, we had kind of categorize ourselves as Bible believing Christians, or sometimes that doesn't sound right uh, to Catholic people because they'd say, we believe the Bible too. So we would say, well, we're evangelicals. That means that we preach the gospel, that all people can be saved through faith alone in Christ alone. And it's all by grace alone, you know, and so evangelicals. Some people use the term Protestants. You know what that is, right? And Protestants is a term that came up after Martin Luther left the church and really challenged the church on a, a, the Catholic church on a lot of uh, teachings that were unbiblical. And that, that was in 1517. That led to the Reformation. And the people that kind of left the Catholic Church from that were called Protestants because they were protesting the Catholic Church. But we didn't actually, here at Grace, come from Luther. We came from another group called the Anabaptists, which is a whole other topic. But we need to move on. So that, that's kind of, but we'll try to unsort some of this church history as we go. And so what's the difference between Catholicism and what we would call biblical Christianity? Well, first of all, different foundation. And of course... We have the foundation of Scripture, and, and so do uh, Catholics. We, we both agree that the Bible is a foundation. The difference for us is, is we would say the Bible is the foundation. And uh, the interesting thing that I've noticed when I've talked to people from a Catholic background is a lot of people assume that the, the Catholic Church predates other expressions of Christianity. But historically, that's really not true. There have always been Bible-believing Bible Christians throughout history since the first century, since the pages of the New Testament, who followed the Bible, believed in God, saved by grace, who never looked at the bishop or pope of Rome as an authority over them. And uh, we just know that to be true because the history proves that. And, and so you just, you know, we have the Bible. And, and uh, the difference in the foundation, it's not the Bible part. The difference is the Pope, or the, there's two other additional authorities in the Catholic Church, and one is, is the Pope, or technically um, the magisterium, um, or the ministerium. They that kind of a group with the Pope, that they have authority and in certain circumstances, they can, the Pope can make an, a pronouncement that's just as binding as the Bible or even more so because it's kind of updated. So, you know, that's a huge difference between us and them. Um, again, I mentioned that biblical Christianity predates Catholicism. The reason we know that is because we have records that the Catholic Church was persecuting Bible-believing Christians who didn't give their allegiance to the Bishop of Rome. So you have to wonder, where did all that come from? Where did the Pope come from? Well, Catholics would say the Pope came from a line of succession that goes all the way back to the Apostle Peter. And that Peter, 
they would point back to Matthew 16, where if you'll remember, Jesus is in Caesarea Philippi, and he asks him, hey, who's everybody saying that I am? He hasn't really revealed himself that he's the son of God yet. And they all say, well, some say John the Baptist, some say this, some say that. And then, he, then Jesus says, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter answers first, and he says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And then remember that? And then Jesus says, hey, well, you're Peter, and upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. And, he, and then he gives the, the authority, like the keys. He says, what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and what you loose on earth will be loose on heaven. And they'll look at that, and they'll say, see, that's Jesus putting... Peter in charge, and we really don't, there's no New Testament evidence that that's what was happening there. But then, Catholics would believe after Peter died, he made somebody else, he gave, you know, became in charge, and then another guy, and another guy until the president and Pope. That's not the way church history happened. For example, in the first couple of hundred years, there were bishops in all the major cities, and Rome wasn't the major city, Jerusalem was. There's Jerusalem, Antioch, Alexandria, Rome. All these were leading Christian cities with a lot of believers. And they all had bishops because they didn't use the word pope yet. And they all had multiple bishops at the same time. Bishops of Rome, bishops of Alexandria. And nobody was seeing that the bishop of Rome had any authority over anybody else. That's just not the way they saw it. As a matter of fact... One of the bishops of Rome, Hippolytus, he lived about 200 years after Christ. He was a bishop of Rome, the highest office in the church in Rome, along with other bishops of Rome. And here's what he said. He said um, that he was a pro prolific writer, and we have a lot of his writings today. He was arguing as a bishop of Rome that the bishop of Rome didn't have authority over anyone else. This is 200 years after Christ. Then the word Pope was, was never used that early. As a matter of fact, the first time the word Pope was used, that we have evidence of it, is a, a writer referring to a, a deceased Bishop of Alexandria, not even Rome. Bishop of Alexandria who lived 200 years after Christ. So this is a Bishop of Alexandria, of many bishops, he dies 200 years after Christ, and then somebody later than him is referring to him, and they use the word Pope. But he's not even from Rome. So that succession we do not find in history, and so obviously that's a big difference. You also, if you need to, to understand church history, you have to realize that uh, there was a big change with Constantine. Constantine was the first Roman emperor that became a believer. So that happened in the 4th century. And before that, Christianity was outlawed. And so that, that was kind of a game changer. But how many of you realize that the Catholic Church split into two factions at about 1054? The Roman Catholic and then the Orthodox Church. You guys know about that? So 1054, there's a split. And part of that split was over. They didn't recognize that the Roman bishop or the Roman pope had authority over anyone else. They, and they didn't just come up with that in the, in the 11th century. They were arguing that since the 4th and 5th century, which is interesting. Why would they be arguing that the Roman head church guy is not over everybody 
all the way back to the 4th and 5th century because that's when Constantine became supposedly a believer. And I say supposedly a believer because when he became, when he converted to Christianity, he baptized his entire army by marching them under uh, branches of trees that they dipped in a river and they would shake them over the whole army and, hey, you're all Christians now. Probably not the best understanding of Christianity there. And so, but he's the first Christian Roman Empire. And because he ruled from Rome, he wanted the church to be controlled from Rome as well. So it was only after his time that he started pressuring that, hey, the, the Roman church and under his muscle and power should be over all these. It was just a way for him to gain power. So that was happening. But people were refuting that the entire time. And you just have to know that as part of history. So it's, we're saying that uh, in the Bible, there's no pope. There's no bishop over other bishops. As a matter of fact, the word pastor, bishop, overseer, shepherd, uh, elder, all those in scripture are used interchangeably. They don't mean that they have authority over other people that hold that position. And they're not mediators between us and God. As a matter of fact, the New Testament clearly teaches us in 1 Timothy 2.5, for there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. The God-man, he's the one who's the mediator between us. So three different things about the, the foundation. We agree on the Bible. Catholics have two additional foundations. One's the Pope or the magisterium. One is, and then the other one is tradition. Catholic doctrine teaches that the tradition of the church is equal in authority to the word of God. And I don't want to put words in anybody's mouth, so I want to be careful here. So I'm going to go to the uh, catechism of the Catholic church, paragraph 82. The church to whom the transmission and interpretation of revelation is entrusted does not derive her certainty about all revealed truths from the Holy Scriptures alone. Both Scripture and tradition must be accepted and honored with equal sentiments and devotion and reverence. You see, that's where the Catholic Church is saying the tradition of the church is an equal authority just like the, to the Bible. It's not the Bible first and then tradition is checked by that. No, it's the Bible and tradition are on an, an equal playing field, they would say, as far as an authority is concerned. Now, what's the problem with that? This very notion is something that Jesus himself rebuked in, Matt, in Mark chapter 7 of the New Testament. So I want to go. Jesus dealt with this in the first century, this type of thing, where Religious people, the Pharisees, were putting their tradition on an equal plane with the Old Testament that they were using as their scriptures at that time. Here's what he says in Mark. The Pharisees and scribes asked him, this is Jesus they're asking, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat their bread with impure hands? That's one of the traditions they're breaking, and there's going to be another one he's going to mention. And he said to them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people, and he quotes some stuff, this is Jesus, as people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. 
but in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. He was also saying to them, you are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. I mean, that's pretty clear, right? Jesus is saying, hey, people, and, and they were following. These were teachers of the law, Pharisees. They had a lot of the Bible memorized. The Old Testament was their Bible at that time. Didn't have the New Testament wasn't written yet. And he's saying, hey, you've elevated the tradition of how you do religion above Scripture or on an equal playing field. And Jesus is saying, you can't do that. And then he gives them another example. They brought up the not cleaning their hands before they eat. Then Jesus brings up another one in, right after this verse. And he, he talks about honoring your parents, which had a, a financial responsibility. And they had kind of found through tradition how they could skirt that. And then he wraps up the discussion in verse 13. He says, thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down. And you do many things such as that. So here's Jesus saying, you cannot equate tradition with the Bible. Because when you do that, when they conflict, what ends up happening is tradition nullifies the word of God. And that's exactly what's happened in the Catholic Church. We believe that the Bible is the ultimate test of all truth. For the Catholic Church, Catholics believe it's the Catholic Church that determines what's true and what's not. That which in effect makes the church an authority over the Bible. So you just got to kind of follow it. We understand that creeds and doctrines and doctrinal statements can be helpful. But creeds and doctrines and the church itself must be judged by Scripture not vice versa. Because if we have our traditions and our rules interpreting and just trumping Scripture, well, then we get into all kinds of error like we've seen happen in all the cults that we talked before. I'm not saying Catholicism is cult, but all the false religions that we talked before, it's the same error. That's what we're saying. You must have a final authority and we're saying it's the Bible, not the Bible plus the Pope who can speak and make a pronouncement that's just as binding as the Bible and their tradition, which is just as binding as the Bible. We're saying, no, it's just the Bible. No man or religious leaders or long-held traditions. It's just God's word. That's our authority. Now, because of those additional authorities, that brings us to the next thing that there's a different theology. Because of the additional authorities in the Catholic Church, there are different theologies that are not biblical. And so that's part of the issue. That's part of the problem. And here's the deal. Since Catholics also believe the Word of God, they believe the Bible is the Word of God, then they should understand that no truth will ever contradict it. What I want to do is I want to put Catholic doctrine to the biblical test. Does that make sense? Yes. Are you with me on that? Yes. That fair? Yes. Nice? nice? Nice. Okay, all right, thanks. All right. Look at what the Bible says in Acts 16. Well, first of all, before we get there, 
infant baptism. Infant baptism is a different theology, and that's not biblical. There is no record of an infant being baptized in all of Scripture. It's just not there. Baptism follows a decision to follow Christ. And it doesn't earn your salvation. It's just something you do once you become a believer. Now, the only way that this can be argued biblically is uh, Catholics will point to a passage in Acts chapter 16. And, and the passage is um, the disciples are arrested and they're in Philippi. And then God kind of miraculously opens the jail up, but, but they don't leave. And the Philippian jail, jailer's there. And just by their actions, he starts believing. That kind of picks up the story. So that's what's going on. So after he brought them out, out of the jail, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house. And he took them at that very hour of the night and washed their wounds. And immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. And he brought them into his house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. See, what's happening here? Catholics would say, because he believed and he and his whole household got baptized, there could have been an infant in that family and if there was an infant in that family and the whole household got baptized, there's infant baptism. But of course, we don't know that there was an infant there. As a matter of fact, Scripture's telling us there wasn't, but Scripture's saying the whole household believed in God. Infants, can they believe? No, infants can't believe. So if you just read the story, you can tell there's no infants there. That's that's the best argument they have, which is a, a very weak argument. No record of an infant being baptized in the entire Bible. Baptism always follows a decision to believe. And there's a bunch of doctrines. That's just one. Praying to Mary for intercession. Nowhere in the Bible. Mary's immaculate conception, meaning she was naturally conceived but without sin. Baptism being necessary for salvation. Not in the Bible. Penance. Not in the Bible. Here's another catechism of the Catholic Church, 980. It says, this sacrament of penance is necessary for salvation for those who have fallen after baptism, just as baptism is necessary for salvation for those who have not been reborn. So you get what they're saying? They're saying, you have to be baptized to be saved. And then if you mess up after that, you have to do penance to be saved. This is all completely contrary to the Bible. And then there's purgatory. You go to a place that's not heaven yet, kind of work yourself out of there. You know, all this stuff and many other things. These are all the differences. And it would, you know, we could spend an hour listing out all the different doctrines. But none of that is as important as the next thing that we're going to talk about. The additional authorities in Catholicism have led to that different foundation has led to a different theology, which most importantly has led to a different gospel. 
and, and we, we start seeing it right there. This is by far the most important issue that we're talking about regarding the Catholic Church. The gospel is the central message of all of Christianity. The gospel is the central message of the Bible. The gospel is, people misunderstand the gospel. The gospel is primarily news that we can act on, that we can, we can believe. It's just news that we can believe. The gospel, the Bible and Christianity are not primarily about, hey, the Bible telling us how to live a good life. There's some of that in there. The Bible is primarily telling us the news of the gospel. That's what's going on. And since, again, the Catholic Church holds to the Bible to be the word of God, let's put the Catholic doctrine to the biblical test. Because the Bible says that we're saved by grace. That just means it's a free gift. That we receive through faith or belief or, or, or trust. Alone. And, and there's nothing else added to that. Here's what the catechism of the Catholic Church says. The Second Vatican Council confirms the bishops, successors of the apostles, receive from the Lord. The mission of teaching all peoples and of preaching the gospel to every creature. So gospel's good. So that all men may attain salvation through faith. Boom. That's good stuff. But they don't stop there. So that all men may attain salvation through faith, baptism, and the observance of the commandments. You see, what they're teaching is that salvation is not only through faith, it's also through baptism. You have to be baptized and you have to observe the commandments. That's completely contrary to Scripture. Compare that to Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It says this, For by grace, a gift, you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. What's scripture saying all through the Bible? We don't do anything to contribute to our salvation. Not baptism, not keeping the commandments. Aren't you glad? That it's keeping the commandments is not part of the way we're saved? We'd all be sunk. It's not a minor issue. The gospel is the most important issue. Central to Christianity, as I said. And in the Bible, anybody adding anything to the gospel is harshly condemned. Paul confronts, for example, anyone adding anything to the gospel. And and he does it extremely strongly. He writes these letters. We're familiar with the letters of Paul. And he kind of follows the templates, kind of like email. You know, you have the top line to, and then the next line's from, and then the subject line. You, you tracking with me? Is anybody with me on this? Email. Yeah, you're all Snapchatting. Yeah, you don't do email anymore. But email's like that. Well, for Paul, he, he does the same kind of template, only his is a little different. He does the from, hey, Paul, an apostle of Christ. He does that. Then he does the to, to Galatia or to the church of Corinth. And then he has a greeting, grace and peace to you and something like that. And then he gets into the body of the letter. 
For example, Corinth. Do you remember Corinth? Corinth was a mess, right? The Corinth church, the church at Corinth, they had some problems. And Paul's writing them and he's trying to straighten out all these problems. They got immorality all over the church. A, a guy has his father's wife that he's living with. They have drunkenness at communion. I mean, they're, they're at communion and they're getting drunk. That's why we use a little bitty cup so that doesn't happen. You know, so it's, it's just messed up. And he's writing them and he goes, hey, this is Paul and I'm writing to you guys at Corinth. Grace and peace to you. And then in the body, you know what he says? Thanks. I thank God for you. Which you're kind of like, wow. Imagine I'm writing to Paulding. And I'm writing Cameron over there, just pastor to another pastor. And, and I hear that Paulding, there's immorality all over the church. They're getting drunk at communion. Probably, you know, and I'm, the first thing I say is, wow, I thank God for you. That's how, that's how nice Paul is. But it's completely different when he writes the churches of Galatia. He has the same pattern. Hey, Paul, to Galatia, grace and peace. And then instead of saying something nice like he does in all the letters, he just, he, he, he brings it. Look, look at Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. Here's how the body start, starts. Instead of, hey, I thank God for every remembrance of you or something like that, he says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach you a gospel contrary to what we have preached you, he is to be accursed. Strong language. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. What, what's the topic here? The gospel. He mentions it five times. And he's saying, somebody's coming to mess up the gospel. Here's what happened. He went into this region, Galatia. They had never heard the gospel, the news about Jesus. He tells them the news, and then many people respond in faith and become believers. And then Paul moves on and starts preaching somewhere else. After he left, some religious types came in from Jerusalem. And then they said, oh, you've heard about Jesus. Yeah, we've heard about it. Well, that's great. Oh, you know it's by grace. It's a gift. Well, that's great. Oh, you, you've got that gift by faith. Excellent. And then they said... But now you just need to add a couple of things. And they started talking about Jewish tradition and circumcision. So I'm sure it was a real bummer for the men in Galatia. You know, go, whoa. And, and he's telling them all this. And Paul's writing them. And he's saying, you've deserted. I'm amazed. You've deserted the gospel. Because they came with another message, which was Jesus plus. Jesus plus a little tradition. And we have Jesus plus today. Jesus plus, you have to be a member of the right church. And we have membership class today, next hour. 
We're not teaching anybody. They've got to be a member of grace to go to heaven. Or Jesus plus baptism. Or Jesus plus the sacraments. Completely contrary to Scripture. Here's what Scripture is telling us. Jesus plus anything equals nothing. If you add anything to the gospel, you completely gut the gospel. You eliminate, distort, ruin the gospel. It's completely contrary to what the Bible's teaching us. That's why Paul is so ticked off here. Be accursed, he's saying. Because Scripture's saying something different. Scripture's teaching us that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. We can't even become a believer if we think somehow we're contributing some action, some work to our salvation. We can, if we think anything is helping us get closer to God, any religious ceremony, any good deed, anything, then we don't understand the gospel. We've missed it. Because the gospel is not Jesus plus. It's Jesus alone. That's all we have. That's the message. That's the central message, the most important message of all the Bible and all of Christianity. And we here at Grace, we're not saying we got a lock on this. We're not saying we're the only church that teaches this. There are churches around our area that are nothing like us and have nothing to do with us and may not even like us. And if they're preaching the gospel, we say, go on. The Baptist church, Fremont Baptist Temple, they preach the gospel. And we say, right on. And the Alliance Church on the other side of town, they preach the gospel. And we say, that's what it's all about. And the Brethren Chapel out on 20 and 590, we're not connected with them in any way, but they preach the gospel and we celebrate that. Or some little Baptist church in Bellevue that preaches the gospel. We say, that's it. That's everything. Because it's not about church. It's about Jesus. You have to put your faith in Christ. Don't put your faith in a church leader or a church or a pope or a bishop or anybody else or a pastor. Put your faith in Jesus. He died for you. That's the news that we want to share with everyone. That God, we have a creator. God created us. And, and he made us in his image. And that meant we, we could know right and wrong, that we could have a relationship with God. But in order for us to have a relationship with God, he had to give us something called free will. We had to choose to have the relationship. He couldn't just make us robots that automatically followed him. That wouldn't, there wouldn't be a relationship there. So he gives us free will. But the tragedy is every human being, every one of us, we've all rebelled against God. We've all sinned. We've all done things that God says is wrong. We've rebelled against our creator. We all have. We're all in the same boat. Because God loves us. 
God knows everything about you. Every dream, every hope, every word, every feeling, every resentment. He knows everything about you. He knows the number of hairs on your head. God knows you and he loves you. And because he loves you, he made a way for you to be forgiven. And it's impossible to earn it. He allowed his one and only son, Jesus Christ, who exists eternally in Trinity as God, to come to this earth, clothe himself in humanity, his own creation, and live out his life completely sinless. He's the only one, not Mary. Jesus is the only person who lived a sinless life. And because of that, the only one qualified to pay for our sins because he had no sins of his own to pay for. You see, we know there's a God who created us and we expect him to be righteous. We expect that from God, that he's going to say what's right and wrong, have a high standard. And he does, and he's done that. But then we mess it up. And then we also expect that God is good and he is good. And we also expect that God is just and he is just, which is bad news for us because we all deserve punishment for violating God's commands. It's the right thing that we be punished. And because our sin is worse than we ever thought, the punishment is worse than we ever thought and it's separation from God forever. That's the right penalty for all of our sins. We all deserve hell away from God forever. But the one true God, the Christian God, is also loving. He loves us. And because of that, he made a way. Jesus came to die for our sins, to pay our personal sin penalty on the cross of Calvary. And it's a gift. Forgiveness is a gift. And the way we get it is by placing our faith in Jesus alone. And that's the most important decision that anyone can ever make in their entire life. Before we close, I just feel that I should give an opportunity for people to respond to that. If you're sitting here and you've just kind of heard the gospel explained, this news, what Jesus has done, and, and maybe in your life you've always kind of felt, yeah, I've, I've placed my faith in Jesus, but I also do good things, or I also did this, or I kind of covered myself by getting... If for the first time you're realizing it's Jesus plus nothing, That means you haven't ever understood the gospel before today. I want to give you the opportunity to respond. Let's bow our heads. God loves you, knows you, knows your every thought. And if you're ready to place your trust in Jesus alone, Christ alone, 
today, not knowing that you've ever really done that before, there's no better day than today. And I want to just lead you in a prayer. You don't have to say it out loud. God knows your every thought. And you don't have to do it verbatim. Just, just express these same things to God. Just express your faith, your trust in Jesus alone for your salvation. That's what it means to be a Christian, to enter into a relationship with God forever. If you're ready to do that. Just as Romans 10 tells us, cry out to God this way. Father in heaven, I, I've come to understand, I know that I'm, I'm a sinner, that I've done wrong things against you. And I've come to realize that the right thing, the right punishment for that is separation for you because you're perfectly holy and I'm a sinner. God, I also know now that you love me and, and you've made a way for me to be forgiven at great cost to yourself the death of Jesus and he did that he died on the cross for my sins and, I, and he, he, he was raised three days later to prove who he was God, right now I am placing my trust, my belief, my faith in Jesus alone for my salvation. And God, I pray that you'd come into my life and, and help me get to know you better, understand you, live your way. Not, not that that adds to my salvation, that's already done. Just so I could love you back. Thank you. In Christ's name. With our heads still bowed, I, I'd just like to ask, I don't want to put anybody on the spot or make anybody feel uncomfortable, but with our heads bowed and people aren't looking around, I'd just like you to kind of indicate to me if, if you prayed that prayer as far as you know for the first time, and then I will pray for you. We as a staff will pray for you. This is not necessary for salvation or anything. I'm just saying we'd like to know. So over on the side by Smith Road, if you prayed that prayer like that this morning, as far as you know, it's the first time you've ever done that. Just pop your hand up where I can see it and put it back down. I'll know to pray for you. I'm not going to do anything else. Just put it up and down. Thank you. And then this kind of middle section on this side too. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Way back there, I see you. Thank you too. kind of the sound booth section. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. I see you. Thank you. And then over here, the cafe side, anyone? So Kevin, I prayed that prayer. just want you to know. Pray for me. I see you, sir. for trusting me with that. Father, we thank you for these who put their faith in you. Lord, we recognize we're all in the same boat. We need forgiveness. And God, you, you offer it freely. If we just respond in belief and 
We thank you for, for many here, brothers and sisters in Christ, who are new believers today. Lord, we pray that they would feel your presence in their life, that they would want to respond to you by following, knowing that doesn't contribute to their salvation, just an act of love back. God, thank you. In Christ's name we pray. We can stand together and, and we're going to dismiss. I just want to remind you on the way out, room one, if you have any questions, if you want to talk to somebody, if you raise your hand and want to talk, if you want some more information because you want to do some more research, stop by room one. We'll be there. Happy to talk with you. Thank you. You're dismissed.